0: My name is Chris Lane, welcome again, and uh, yeah, looking forward to that movie. I've seen it a few times, it's personally uh, one of my favorites, the you know, Elf, and uh, so it'll be free, bring the kids, bring the family, bring your neighbors, we'll have some fun. But if you want hot dogs and whatever, just buy a ticket, it'll just say some chaos next week. But let's pray and we'll get straight into God's word. Father, we want to say thank you for this season that we're in now. and. Lord, there's been a lot of planning, a lot of forethought, and and some of us are well prepared and others are not so well prepared, but we'll be all right. We'll get there on time. But thank you, Lord, that in all of this, your timing is perfect. And Lord God, we want to learn how to trust you because sometimes when we do life as we do life, we find ourselves frustrated or anxious because it seems that you've not come through or you've not done what we wanted you to do, and then... And for some of us, we realize later on, perhaps, sometimes a very long time later on, that actually your timing was perfect. And uh, so we pray now, Lord, Holy Spirit, in this season, that we will marvel at the wonder of the Christmas story, the wonder that, that which, of, of all that you've done for us. And as it says in Romans 5, we read it earlier on, that at just the right time, you sent your Son to die for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, well, this is the beginning of our, our kind of Christmas season. Next week, uh, we we are having uh, every you know every service is a guest service, but next week we're having a guest service. So if you were thinking of inviting your friends, please do uh, make a special effort to invite them next week and the following week. And uh, we've called this little series "One Star, One Hope." Uh, and uh, but today I'm I'm starting early because. Well, I hope I'm well prepared, and I'm, I'm ready for this, and I, I hope this will help you. And, and I do just want to echo what Richard said. If you were at the big baptism we had last week, it was phenomenal. Uh, it absolutely was. I, I Personally, um, I, you know, we, we, we put a lot of planning, a lot of thought, a lot of prayer into it. I think, Richard, you ran five, was it, f- you ended up having to run five or six baptism, five baptism classes. We've never done anything like it, and it was absolutely amazing. The place was absolutely full at six o'clock when we started the first lot of baptisms. We did them in bunches of 30, Uh, and then the second one uh, was, was almost full, but there was something about the sense of God's presence in the place. It was... Just extraordinary, and everything came together, and all the planning, and you know, what fretting about how many pools we should have, and you know, did everybody get trained, and uh, is everybody going to be kept safe coming in and out? Of, all of this stuff, the, all the planning and preparation that went here, it just came together, and it, sa- it felt like the sum of all the parts was so much greater than the, the actual individual kind of elements. A tremendous sense of of God's favor upon us, and uh, I, I, sh- I shall honestly um, see out my days on this earth and look back to that big baptism service as being one of those highlights in my life. You know, we'll, hopefully we'll have several of them, several highlights, you know, but that was definitely one of them. I walked away after the first batch, I went to, because I had to bring numbers of changes of clothes, and I walked back there to the little place where I changed, and I just thought, this is the most wonderful enterprise to be involved in, the most wonderful enterprise. You know, seeing lives transformed, people's eternal destinies changed. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about it all week, haven't we, guys? We, we just have had email after email. I've never had so many emails, and all of them are positive, and all of them are thank you, and all of them, the testimonies, you know, just of, of God's faithfulness and uh, his perfect timing. So, uh, you, know, you know, we, we can uh, thank God and pat ourselves on the back, I guess. But, uh, but that was a wonderful evening. I want to ask you a question. Fliss and I were having a conversation. And Fliss and I have been married now for over 40 years. And I thought I knew her pretty, pretty well. But I asked her this random question, which really took me aback. And I said to Fliss, I said to her, uh, you know, I was thinking about my talk and what I'm going to, about to say, and I said to her, let me ask you a question, first. How do you visualize the, the year? You know, do you visualize the months and, and the sort of how the year goes? And she said, of course. And I said, oh, good. I said, well, h- how is it for you? And I might get this back to front, but I'll try and remember, darling. It starts with December up there. And it goes January, February, March, April, May, June, July, something like that. And then it goes August, September, October, November, sort of straight up like a D. But then she said, very importantly, but it's flat. (laughs) And I thought, what? That's not the way the year's visualized. The year's visualized like this, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, then January, like sort of... We visualize the, the the year in a completely different way. Just turn to your neighbour. How do you visualize the year? There's a lot of arm waving going on. <laughs> That's just so funny. All these people earnestly trying to describe the way the year looks. Isn't that incredible? I just love that. That's just so amazing. We've all got these different visualizations, but I literally see it like pelnets. I see it like that, you know, with Christmas, the high point. But if nothing else, what it tends to do is gives us that sense of journey, that sense of time progressing in some way. And uh, it, it is an extraordinary thing. And as we come into this season, I, I have found myself... Uh, ch- sort of encouraged and fascinated by the sense of of things coming together at Christmas. Uh, I, I don't know whether you've been following with some interest this comet that has uh, been coming in and looks like it might have evaporated now, but there was a comet Ison which started off a zillion years ago at the edge of the universe, and edge of the galaxy rather, and then swung by by the sun this, this uh, week, I think they said it was 700,000 kilometers from the sun, and it was traveling at half a million miles an hour, half a million miles an hour. And there was quite a lot of debate about whether it would, because it was going to pass very close to the sun, there was quite a lot of debate about whether or not it would survive, because apparently they're all rock and ice. Uh, but there was you know there were bets down that, yes, it would be diminished, but it would survive, and then it would light up our Christmas uh, star escape, you know in the next few weeks. I think it's evaporated. Anybody didn't clock that. Anybody heard about that during this week? Well, it's been, it's been going on, and I found that so interesting, of course, and I thought, wouldn't it be great if we had an amazing comet in the sky over Christmas? You know? But again, I've kind of been thinking about that and thinking about the universe and thinking about the way the stars move. Do you know that there are 70 sextillion stars? That's the latest estimate. A sextillion, apparently, is seven, and then there are 27 zeros after it. Just say that with me, 70 sextillion. Okay, you've learned something now. will be able to use that in conversation and impress people. You know. But all of these things are moving. And then, of course, right at the very, you know, a part, an essential part of our Christmas story is, is, the, is the three wise men coming to worship the Christ Jesus in Bethlehem. And typically, and traditionally, and with good reason, actually, the story of the three wise men is told um, at the sort of end of the Christmas season. In fact, uh, if, if in many churches it would be told the the Sunday after Christmas. But I'm a bit on this journey thing at the moment, and about you know thinking that one through, and and, and I find myself sort of thinking, well, you know. If what we think about the wise men is true, that they were men, they were probably, they were scientists, and that meant that they were astronomers and astrologers, and, and they observed the natural order in the day, that would have meant what a scientist was. Well, then uh, it is believed that they came from Persia, and their journey, their journey will have begun probably two or three months before the baby Jesus was born. But more than that, they probably would have been planning that journey for maybe three or four years prior to that, maybe even longer. Because as astronomer stroke astrologers, they would have understood, even by that time, uh, really quite, to a great degree of accuracy, how the stars uh, tracked their way across the cosmos. And so they anticipated a kind of coming together in fact one of the things that i've really been struck to uh, struck by in this whole story is that many roads come together many roads come together and uh, so you've got you know you've got the star of bethlehem tracking in to be there for christmas you've got the wise men tracking uh, the stars from perhaps years prior, previously, and they, they say, well, you know, uh, in, in uh, the year whatever it was, we will start that journey because we know that the, the star is going to be representing the uh, birth of the great Messiah, and we, and we know that's going to take place in Israel. So we need to plan with all our entourage to be there for that great event. It's generally thought uh, that um, there's two great trains of thought about the Star of Bethlehem. One is that it was Halley's Comet, which was actually around. Uh, They think it may have gone through, they're pretty sure that it went through at about seven years, seven B.C., so that might be a little early. But one of the things that was happening around that time, which astronomy has confirmed, was a very unusual uh, intersection between the planets Jupiter, and the planet Saturn. And around about that time, you know, and this is such a rare event, they tracked across the stars. Maybe one was going that way and the other was going that way, who knows? But they they tracked across the night sky and for a brief moment they were together and there was this blaze of light. You know, when you go out of, your house in the evening and look up into the, the night sky. Of course, we don't live in the country. Many of us, most of us live in the city, but, but those stars that you can see, particularly the bright ones, are usually p- planets in our own solar system. You can see those. So if, if the stars that we see are so bright, we can, we, we can see them when there's so much light pollution, you know, all these sort of street lights and stuff. Can you imagine what it must have been like in first century Galilee? where there was no light pollution. The nights were a deep velvet black filled with a myriad, sextillion stars. And suddenly the great planet Jupiter, which in, in, in the thinking of the day represented kingship, great godly kingship, and the planet Saturn, which was representative even amongst non-Jewish cultures as the, 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 the star, the planet of the Jewish nation, when these two things converged in that black, deep, velvet night sky and joined together in this blaze, the astronomers and astrologers wondered that, uh, and were astounded and knew that something significant had taken place. And they read it as the king of the Jews who would be the savior of the world. Isn't that interesting? That was the the significance of this particular king of the Jews was, was being born. And they made plans to be there. So their plans began even before Mary had conceived. She was probably around about 13, 14 years of old when she bore the Lord Jesus. So she was a 10-year-old, like your 10-year-olds, up to mischief, playing out with the the goats and the dogs and just sort of, you know, mucking around and being told off and all those kind of things and being enjoyed, things that children do. So when she was a mere little more than a child, the wise men were Wondering at this extraordinary, unique event that was to take place. And they made plans to make their journey. So the planets are coming into place. The kings are coming into place. Something extraordinary is about to happen. Let's read the story. It's in Matthew's gospel. It'll come up in, on the screen, but, but you may like to uh, just follow in. By listening or in your own Bible. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, that's wise man, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Well, we could spend more time reading that story. Matthew has this great mission to convey the gospel to the Jewish people. But part of that, so he writes the gospel for Jewish readers. But part of what he wants to say to his Jewish readers is that this Messiah is for the Gentiles also. He is the light to the Gentiles. It's one of his great big uh, strings in his, the bow that is uh, the... uh, the the gospel that he writes. And here we have another thread, another journey, if you like, as the Magi inquire as to where the the Messiah is to be born. The uh, scribes, the Pharisees, they search the Scriptures and they find reference in Micah chapter 5, you can read it to this day, where it says, you, Bethlehem in Judea, not Bethlehem in Galilee, But Bethlehem in Judah, a little flea-bitten sheep town, you will be the place where the great king is to be born. And of course, those of you who know the scriptures a little bit will know that the scriptures in the Old Testament, some of them written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior to this great event, is full of scriptures referring to the coming Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9, unto us is born a son. Unto us is born a saviour. Unto us is born a mighty king. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Prince of Peace. So you have this great prophetic stream of of narrative weaving itself in and through the, 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 the history and the tradition of the Jewish nation, and it's all converging, coming together as wise men come, as stars find their place. It finds its place and settles in a stable in Bethlehem. There's what the theologians call the salvation history. God created man, Adam and Eve. He created him to enjoy him and to be in fellowship, but it went horribly wrong when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. So God wiped the nations out and then chose another man, Abraham, and said to that man, I will make of you a mighty nation, a people for my own. And that came true, but that people, the people of Israel, rebelled against God. So again, from one man, God creates this great, huge nation, but they rebel against God. But the the river of life goes on and God begins to reduce and, and diminish his plans until it all settles down upon the shoulders and in the heart and in the life and in the very being of one person. Jesus Christ. So we've got the prophetic narrative going off. We've got the meta-narrative of salvation history. We've got the cosmos moving into place. We've got Gentile wise men moving into place. It's all coming together. God has perfect timing. And I want to now just spend a moment wondering Forgive me if you've seen this little clip before. This is my personal favorite Christmas clip. Let's just watch and wonder for a moment. Thank you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? I love the way it's acted you know, uh, you, you know that that moment, that place, that time when all of this came together, God's perfect timing, you know that in that moment, that stable area, that home in Nazareth, that home in Galilee, wherever Christ was, was just thick with the presence of God. There have been times in worship, you know, over the years when I have just felt I've been transported into heaven. Haven't really been, but felt it. I remember many an occasion here. I remember an occasion in Pensacola, Florida, where I went into a meeting where there was revival. And I kid you not, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. It was extraordinary. And you better believe that in that stable, In that time, in that place, there was such an awesome sense of the presence of God and the gifts that they brought, gold for the king of kings, frankincense for the priest of priests. I would want to say for the God of gods because Jesus was both priest and God. But I love the way the last king brought his gift. The gift of myrrh, he says to honor the sacrifice, but myrrh was part of the – was a very expensive part, I have to say – myrrh was part of the funeral rites. And I bet that as he arrived there and sensed this awesome presence, he hesitated. We saw him hesitate in the movie. He wonders whether he's brought the right gift. It's a bit like, you know, you you get invited to a party, and it's only as you arrive at the the party that you discover that it's a black-tie event, and you're in a lounge suit. Oh, my gosh, only the blokes will know how embarrassing that is, but I'm sure the ladies can think of events like that. The king there has, the third wise man has a gift of myrrh, and in the movie, he hesitates, and he looks to his friends for reassurance, and they sort of, Give him the nod. Give it. And, of course, it is wholly appropriate, W-H-O-L-Y, wholly appropriate, because Jesus, who is the King of kings, the God of gods, is also the Lamb of God. Moses said, as he was about to sacrifice his son Isaac, on the mountain of the Lord, the Lord will himself provide a sacrifice. Extraordinary events, extraordinary comings together. And over the next two or three weeks, we will unpack this a little more. We will marvel at God's perfect timing. How does this apply to us? Well, one of the things that I was so touched by, one of so many things, during the baptisms was the Time and again, the the stories of people who, for whom this was the perfect moment to be baptised. This was the moment that they knew was God's moment. It was their moment. Some of them had stories of wanting to be baptised years and years and years ago, but life happened or something happened or whatever happened and it didn't seem right. But last Sunday night was their moment. Extraordinary sense of God's presence. If you missed it, I, I am sorry for you. I'm sorry for you. Stories of, of lives, years of addiction. I'm not going to mention the name, but there was a lady, there were so many, there was a lady who uh, was baptized last Sunday. And she testified to years of ad- addiction and she was, had been th- free for two years. During the week, she was approached by a couple of police officers who she knew, and they've asked her, the police commissioner has asked her to write up her story, and they're going to publish it. This woman was, you know, she's an, a, an older woman, she's a mature woman, but she had a series of ASBOs, antisocial social behavioural order things, against her. But for two years, she's been radiant with Christ. And the world notices that. And so they're going to write up her story. It's going to be published. And she wants to talk about this place. And she wants to talk about feed. But most of all, she wants to talk about Jesus. The King of Kings. And in his time, at just the right moment, he met with her story after story after story after story. And I'm going to finish on this thought. It's both hopefully a comfort, but for some it'll be a challenge. Fliss and I were having lunch uh, with some dear, dear friends. We've known them for 30 years, and they're going through a very tough time. They're pastors. And uh, they were pouring their heart out to us about a very, very difficult situation they find themselves in. When they finally ran out of, out of breath, and I'm not kidding you, they, they talked for nearly three hours. They, they said to me, I said to Phyllis and myself, you went through something like this 15 years ago and you survived. We are full of admiration. How did you do that? We were humbled and we were moved by that question. But what really struck me in that was that I didn't think anybody knew. And during that very difficult time, I cried out to God for vindication because I felt I'd been wronged. And I didn't think anybody knew. And so as these dear friends shared their story and then asked us about how we survived that that terrible time, I realized that God did know, and in this conversation where I was expecting just to be a listening ear, I realized in that moment God was affirming us, and I heard, as it were, a voice behind the voice. I heard Father God say, well done. You came through that. Well done. I kid you not, I wept before God saying, vindicate me God, this is so unjust, this is so unfair. And at the time nothing happened, it felt as if my words fell on deaf, deaf ears. But at just the right time, God comes, God speaks, God acts. Now we're continuing to work with these friends, but I was struck by that. I didn't get the rescue I I thought I needed or wanted at the time. But God's timing is perfect. In the run-up to the, the baptisms, we read Acts 22 where it asks the question, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for God to act in some way? Are you tired and angry and frustrated because God hasn't come through for you in the way you want it? Are you going through something now where your heart is breaking, your heart is aching, and you're crying out to God? God's timing is perfect. Sometimes the prayer is answered right there and then, more often than not. But other times, frustratingly, if my own experience is anything to go by, God doesn't seem to act, but he calls for faith. He calls for trust. You know, on a good day we can all trust God, but it's actually trust and faith are for the bad days. We can all be St. Hilda of Doncaster, full of faith and what have you when the sun's shining and there's a bit of money in the pocket and the kids are all well. But faith, trust, is what we need when the, ty- the days are a bit darker. And so the word I have for you as we come into this season is God's timing is perfect. Think of the cosmos. Think of the, the salvation narrative. Think of the wise men. Think about that Christmas story all coming together at just the right time. And be encouraged. Hold fast. Keep asking, keep praying. But keep confessing and keep trusting. And at just the right time, God will deliver you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship. Thank you. Let me just pray. Father, we want to say thank you to you. Uh, we, we, We can all say, Lord, it is hard to trust you when we're in those tough times. It is hard to trust you, but Lord God, We want to be amongst those who do come through, that do press on in, that do stand fast, so that at just the right time, you can come and be who you are, and who you are is our beloved Savior. And everyone said, Amen.